Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. About increased numbers of pastors leaving the ministry, young people leaving the church. There was an article last year in The Atlantic about how the evangelical church is breaking apart, and the subtitle was, Christians Must Reclaim Jesus from His Church. It went on to talk about how the church is so divided, especially in this political climate, and is no longer seeking to have their beliefs and values shaped by Jesus, but the church is portraying a Jesus who's shaped by their distortions of what is true and right. It's said that the church is elevating values contrary to what Jesus taught and lived. Things like, blessed are the politically powerful, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the culture warriors, for they will be called children of God. In a separate article I was reading recently, Russell Moore, who was formerly a leader in the Southern Baptist Church, is now the editor of Christianity Today. He was reflecting on why young people are leaving the church. And he said, quote, we see young evangelicals walking away not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what it teaches. There's a world of people out there who don't see Christianity as good news. They see it as a political ideology or a power move to get across certain moral views or self-righteous people who are out there to kind of judge everybody else's lives and not willing to address their own issues. They don't see the gospel in the way that it's lived out by the church as a story they want to be a part of. So often we've gotten in our own way and we've portrayed a picture of Christ that's not true to how he actually lived. We haven't allowed the gospel story to form us in such a way as to be a counterculture for the common good, a people who reflect the beauty and hope and restoration that the gospel offers. In this series, we've been talking about following Jesus in a fallen world and what it looks like for us to be culture makers. Uh, we've been using this definition of culture, that it's what human beings make of the world. It's both the things we make, the, the artifacts, the art and technology and clothing and food and so forth, and, and also the meaning we make. So how we take this raw material and arrange it in such a way as to say what is good and true and real. We've talked about unhealthy postures that, the, that Christians can have toward the culture to, to condemn culture, to simply uh, critique it only, to copy culture and offer these cheap imitations, or to mostly consume culture. And we've recently been looking at how Christians can approach culture in a healthy way, and that's first to enter the culture, to know the influences that shape us, to ask questions, to listen well, 
to engage in deep relationships and affirm what is good. We want to pursue the good of the city, the flourishing of our communities, and then to challenge its idols. So as we affirm the good, that earns us the respect we need to then speak into the bad. We can reveal contradictions in people's lives and identify what what is their driving force? What are they looking to for their source of purpose and identity? We can show people that the way they're pursuing these good things is ultimately self-defeating. But if we just stop there, if we enter and then challenge and don't go any further, people can be left questioning, well, what hope is there? What should I be doing instead? So we've got to engage in this third step, which is what we're focusing on today, and that is to appeal to its listeners, to show that Jesus is the only one who can provide the ultimate fulfillment for our longings. So this morning we'll be talking about growing our gospel imagination, what it looks like to live out Jesus' vision for life. In the greatest sermon of all time, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus casts a beautiful vision of what life could be, life under his rule. And he paints this picture of people who are blessed, people who are content in knowing who they belong to. It's a vision of people who are concerned for others, and they're honest and full of integrity. They're loyal and loving toward their enemies and patient and forgiving. They're confident in God's provision, and they're willing to admit their faults. These blessed people have an inner life that matches what people see in their outer life. These people are seeking the good of others and entering into hard places and and are committed to working out God's values and his way of, uh, of his kingdom in the world. And the sermon from Jesus begins with this set of virtues that we call the Beatitudes. And that describes the character of a people who are able to live in this way and make a difference in the world. So we want to look at these today, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to reflect on how we can appeal to our culture. What kind of story can we tell with our lives? What kind of people are so compelling that they point to God's kingdom and draw others to this idea of life under his glorious reign? So if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to start reading a few verses before the Beatitudes to give us some background, and I'll start reading in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. These kinds of lists of of values or blessings weren't unique in the ancient world. A, A teacher would lay out these kinds of virtues and say that if you did these things, it would bring about the kind of community we want And what's unique, though, about what Jesus does here in his list is that he's not highlighting the things that one would expect. He's not elevating uh, power and success and influence and recognition, but he's looking at the poor and the suffering and those in pain and telling him that they are the ones who are blessed. He's elevating values like poverty, vulnerability, meekness, and rejection. So that word blessed, or we, you know, if you come from saying that in kind of the old King James saying blessed, uh, we can use that term loosely even today. You know, it can sometimes be this way of kind of uh, subtly bragging about something. Oh, I'm so blessed to have this or that. We see hashtag blessed on social media. And we can misunderstand that this word, but the idea is uh, that uh, of blessing is being happy and being content and, and fortunate. And what we see in this list of beatitudes is that those Jesus calls blessed or fortunate are those whose values are aligned with those of God's kingdom. It's those who desire God's will to be done who are happy and blessed, and those at rest in who God is and what he's doing. Notice in chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus is looking at the crowds when he gives this teaching. So he's looking at those who had come to him in those verses we read in chapter 4, the sick, the demon-possessed, the poor. These are the down and out, the lowest of the low. They're the, the, the ones society had cast off. You know, there wasn't any healthcare system in the ancient world. There were no seeming uh, prospects for the future for these people or no visible measure of success that they had. And these are the ones described as, that the society had seen as, as outcasts. And these people are the ones Jesus is looking at when he says, you are blessed. You're the ones who are successful. You have the good life. You have the things I want to put on display in the world. Jesus describes those who are blessed as the poor in spirit, those who can say, you know, I'm nothing without God. I only have value because of him. I see my spiritual poverty. I'm I'm a sinner who deserves judgment. And God says that theirs is the kingdom of heaven the reign of God, his salvation and restoration is given to them. 
Blessed are those who mourn, the ones who can grieve over their sin, both their personal sin and also the brokenness and death we see in the world. It's those people who will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the ones who can say, you know, I'm not all that important. I'm just trying to to be vulnerable and honest about my need. It's the ones who see the needs of others before their own. They are the ones who are given the world, who will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who just say, I want more of you, God. I want more of you in the world and more of you in my heart. And I desire freedom for the oppressed and justice for those who are wronged. And I want things to be right with you, God. Those are the ones that God says will be satisfied. Their longings will be met in him and his plan of restoration in the world. Blessed are the merciful, those who are compassionate and gentle and extending mercy to others. They will receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, those sincere in their love for God and wanting what he wants. They will see God. His face will shine on them. Blessed are the peacemakers, those actively seeking to enter into broken places, to reduce tensions and pursue reconciliation and bring healing. These are the ones God calls his daughters and sons. Blessed are those persecuted because of righteousness. Those who are living with these values and acting in a way that conforms with God's will, you know, people may look at them and misjudge their motives and insult them, accuse them, and even persecute them. But to these, God says, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Your reward is an eternity. You are blessed. Jesus is saying here that it's those who feel like they have nothing, those who don't measure up to the values of the world, those who recognize their need before God, These are the ones who create the kind of community God is looking for. It's these kind of people who have the potential to love the world in a countercultural, life-transforming way. Notice after the Beatitudes in chapter five, Jesus moves to this teaching about salt and light and and being a city on a hill, and and he's saying that it's this kind of people with, with this list of qualities who are the ones that extend the kingdom of God. It's through these that God's righteousness goes deeper and broader, and through these that people are drawn to God. Some of you may feel like this kind of people. You may feel like you've got nothing to offer. You're just coming with your weakness this morning. You feel like you don't have anything to give, you just have need. And God says to you that you are blessed. And others here might not feel that way. You know, maybe you look at those who are kind of cast aside or those that our society sees as lowly and you can start to think, oh, you know, they just need to get their act together. They just need to figure it out and you get frustrated or judgmental. And it's a challenge, this is a challenge for us to look at our hearts and, and ask God to show us our need. You know, in verse uh, 24 in Matthew chapter 4, it says how all these kinds of broken and poor people were brought to Jesus. Jesus attracted these kinds of people. 
So we've got to ask ourselves, are these kinds of people attracted to us? Is it the down and out and and the marginalized of society who are drawn to you? And if not, that probably means we're not living with these qualities. People can pick up on our lack of sincerity or our judgment toward them, and and they know when we're acting out of pride and self-defensiveness and if our heart really isn't for them but for ourselves. So if you think that's where you are this morning, you can be challenged today to reflect on why that is. Why aren't the poor and lowly and outcasts drawn to you? But when we live with these values and we have this kind of character, our heart is aligned with God's heart. And our culture looks at us and sees a compelling story, an approach to life that's different from their own, but one that's intriguing because it has lasting value. And it leads from a place of service. And it loves from a place of humility. It's a kind of counterculture for the common good that's described in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And unfortunately, we don't have time to unpack all that today. But I'd encourage you, if you have a chance this week, to read through Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and notice the kind of culture that these blessed people make. One of the questions we want to ask today is, are we living out the story God wants us to tell? Are we putting on display these virtues or qualities outlined in the Beatitudes? There's a film from the early 2000s, and and full disclosure, I haven't seen this movie, but a friend of mine told me about this scene, and I thought it fits so well this morning, so I wanted to share it with you. But the film is called Bobby. It takes place in the time leading up to the shooting of Senator Robert Kennedy, who was, you know, a rising politician. Lots of people were hopeful for him as a leader, thinking that he would bring in uh, advancement for the civil rights movement. And um, many were wondering, though, if he'd really bring real change. And there's a dialogue in the Ambassador Hotel where he's assassinated. It's a conversation between two chefs. The one chef, Miguel, is a bitter and angry man. He doesn't think that Bobby Kennedy is going to bring any change. Uh, It's just, you know, he's just going to be like everybody else. And he's talking to the other chef, Edward, an African-American chef, and he's pretty hopeful that Bobby Kennedy can bring change and kind of says, you know, we got to give this guy a chance, and, and I think he's sincere. And Miguel just says to Edward, oh, you know, you're just chasing rainbows. There's not really going to be any real change. And Edward, the African-American chef, looks at Miguel and he says, you know what your problem is, Miguel? You've got nothing to offer. You've got no poetry. You've got no light. No one looking at you saying, dang, look at that Miguel. I want some of what he's got. That's what's happened to us. That's what's happened to the church. We've lost our poetry. We've lost our light. We have no one looking at us saying, man, I want some of that. We're not offering anything meaningful or interesting or beautiful to the world. We've lost our gospel imagination. So how do we recapture it? You know, these beatitudes, they're not requirements that we can attain. It's not some kind of checklist, you know, we can accomplish. We can't say, oh, you know, I'm not really being very poor in spirit today. I need to work harder to be poor in spirit. 
But to put on display the light of the gospel, we've got to see and experience that light for ourselves. It's when we're captivated by the character of Jesus, the ultimate blessed one, that our character is then shaped by him. Jesus is the only one who truly displays these characteristics. It's in his life that he offers a new story. He brings healing and hope, acceptance and delivery from sin. He brings people together who are different. It's in his death that he's the one who's mourning and grieving over sin. He's the meek, being vulnerable, naked before others. He's the one hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He's the one extending mercy to the sinners on the cross beside him. He's the one making peace and saying, Father, forgive them. He's the one who's wrongfully accused and killed, persecuted because of righteousness. He demonstrates this countercultural approach to life by offering himself as a sacrifice so that we can receive those blessings of comfort and mercy and satisfaction and life in the kingdom under a loving king. We are people under the reign of a king who comes to the lowly, who comes in weakness, who comes to the nobody and says, you are blessed. And it's when the beauty of this substitutionary sacrifice sinks into our hearts and our eyes are open to the wonder of this good news that we can recapture our imagination for how to extend it to the world. Because this is what the world needs. So will you imagine with me? Can you imagine being in an argument, maybe with your spouse or a friend, and rather than desiring to win the argument, your primary desire becomes to win the person. Rather than laying out the guilt trip, you seek to listen with compassion and admit the ways that you were wrong. Can you imagine going to work without a sense of needing to prove your worth, without giving in to the strivings for success, but to work knowing you're already valued, you can fess up to your mistakes, you can extend grace to your coworkers, you can use your skills to contribute to the flourishing of your community. Can you imagine forgiving that person whose hurt you've been harboring? even though they've cursed you and wronged you? Can you imagine, you know, not forgetting, not not giving them a free pass to do it again, but seeking true reconciliation and being freed from the bitterness and contempt in your own heart? Can you imagine having a dining room regularly filled with people who are weary and hurt and lonely? A dining room that not only has that nice, distressed wood farmhouse style sign that says gather, but actually has people gathered regularly in the room who are there because they know your home is a place of respite and healing and peace and acceptance. Can you imagine facing a difficult diagnosis and having a peace that's beyond understanding a confidence that God will provide. 
And then to go along with that, knowing there's a community of people to come around you to extend support and care, both physical and emotional. Can you imagine a people whose acts of prayer and fasting and giving come from a place of humility and dependence on God and service to others, not wanting recognition? Can you imagine a church that's first to respond when disaster strikes, that's trained to care for the refugee and the homeless and is undergirded by the generous resources of Christians who can help provide for needs? Can you imagine a people who give voice to ethnic minorities and go out of their way to partner with more diverse churches and develop friendships with those on the other side of the river? Can you imagine a church where sexuality is not a commodity? Marriages and families are durable and healthy and singles are seen as an essential part of the community. Can you imagine Christians who are leaders in the realms of poetry and art and music and law and science and academia? Leaders who are not lording their power over others but lead from a place of humility and service? Can you imagine our children being taught that the way to a beautiful life isn't by getting the best grades or being the best sports team or getting into the right college, but it's by loving others and serving the last the lost, and the least? Can you imagine a people who enter the culture and seek to listen with compassion and understanding, who wisely and lovingly challenge the idols of that culture, and who share the good news that Jesus is the source of all we need? What else? What else can you imagine? All this is possible when we're living in light of God's kingdom when we see Christ as the true reconciler, the true healer and true rescuer, when we know God as our Father and Christ as the one who frees us from our strivings and who's conquered death, the one who accomplishes real peace and the one whose grace has the power to free. It's possible when we trust the God who looks like Jesus, who says to the down and out, to those who know their need, you are blessed. In the book of Ephesians, Paul prays a prayer for the church in Ephesus, and I want to read it here as our prayer today. Ephesians chapter 3 says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer that the church would experience God's love, that it would capture their hearts, and that it would flow out into the world so that Jesus' name would be made glorious in far greater ways than we can even imagine.
This is our prayer today. If it's helpful for you to have a few questions to reflect on today and this week, we can think of these first. Do you see yourself as blessed from the perspective of the Beatitudes? You know, are you feeling like you don't have anything to offer, like you're weak and in need? If so, that's what God wants. It means that you have a heart ready to elevate him and to live out his values. Secondly, are the poor, hurting, and broken drawn to you? And if not, why, do you think? And finally, how is your gospel imagination being recaptured every day? Where are you making space for the story of the gospel to shape your heart and life? You know, we talk a lot about holy habits and liturgies that form us. So this is a chance to reflect on what are those influences forming your character? And if you're struggling to figure out what this looks like or how to set up uh, gospel-centered rhythms, you know, please reach out to one of our pastors. We'd be glad to meet and talk with you about what that looks like. In just a couple minutes, we'll be coming to the Lord's table and receiving communion, and I encourage you to use that time to reflect on the wonder of the gospel, to consider Jesus' character, his work on the cross, and his vision of the kingdom, and let God recapture your imagination today through this meal. Let's pray. God, it's your character and your values that we want to live by. We want to be shaped by your heart. We want to portray a beautiful picture of a community that is countercultural because of the people you've created. Lord, help us to submit to your ways, help us to see our need. Help us to be these people who are characterized by this list in the Beatitudes. And God, we pray that all of this would be so that more would see your beauty, your glory, and be changed by you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.